This is the Kingdom Movement Podcast, a place where we will explore through conversation how discipleship, theology, and community really can transform our world. Hey guys, the episode you're about to listen to is a previous recording of our lecture we did on relationships, marriage, and sex. Because it is a previous recording, um, the audio quality isn't as good. We weren't using the normal equipment that we do for the podcast. So if you hear some background noise or my voice isn't as clear, or you hear someone in the audience asking questions, that's why the quality isn't quite what you've come to expect from the normal podcast. But we thought the discussions, the questions asked, were so good that we wanted to put it on the podcast anyways because this is such a vital topic and we didn't want to just present information, but we wanted to have the questions and the discussion available from that previous lecture. So with all that in mind, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Kingdom Movement Podcast. If not, on to the next one, the fun one, the one that all of you showed up. Yeah, just <laughs> Sex, when is it okay and how should we view it? This guy's putting a nice pretty flower in her hair. He's hoping to get a little smoky time later, maybe. So, sex, when is it okay and how should we view it? So, what does the scripture have to say about it and why is it important? Why, Why do we as Christians, as the church, say that sex should only be reserved for marriage, right? Why does it matter that much? Why is it that important? So Genesis, again, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish and the sea, the birds and the earth and the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So basically, why I put that in there is God wanted us to be fruitful. He wanted us to multiply. He wanted us to have families. That was an intention that he gave to us. Um, Malachi 2.15 says this, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So God wants us to have children. He wants us to have families. That is a part of his intention uh, within this marriage. Have you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, said this, This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. So, basically what that means is that sex is the physical act of that uniting, right? So it's literally two bodies, and we're going to be graphic, being one at, at a certain time, alright? But it is, it's a, a literal physical act of something that has happened in the spiritual. Does that make sense? That you're committed faithfulness. So the mandate that God gave us from the beginning, Genesis uh, is to be fruitful and multiply. We do this by covenant love, right? We multiply in covenant love. Covenant love is marriage. All right, thank you. That covenant is sealed with the two becoming one flesh, right? So we seal the covenant seal even in biblical times and even today. You are technically married until the deed is done, all right? Because it is the physical sealing of that covenant commitment. 
that make sense? So sex is the physical act of this two becoming one, of this covenant love. Similar to most of our lives, the spiritual and the physical are closely tied together, right? So what we do with our bodies matters, basically. It's not that I have my spirit, private spiritual life over here and I honor God there, but what I do with my body uh, is totally separate from that, right? You can't punch someone in the face and say, I love God, you know, and I love my man. <laughs> How you treat people with your physical body reflects what your interior spiritual life is like, right? And then in the same way, in this covenant love of marriage, we have a physical act that seals it, right? That is the, 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 almost like the stamp of what brings those two people together, right? Uh, so similar to most of our, uh, uh, what we do with our bodies deeply matters it is a reflection of our unseen inner life. Okay, we already said. So Corinthians says this, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never, right? Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. So there's that verse. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside of their body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body, right? Because they are uniting themselves, right? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, right? So Paul is basically just laying out this framework that what you do with your body matters. And you wouldn't take the temple of God and go united with a prostitute, right? And so what he's basically using in that illustration is that we are set apart by God for purposes, right? That our bodies are meant for specific purposes, and that they aren't just to be flippantly used however we want. That we don't just go around uniting ourselves and making this covenant act with anybody, right? That this covenant act is reserved for a covenant promise. Does that make sense? God, God's will for you to be, is to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife or his, her husband. For the Lord avenges all such things, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So what I, I want to make clear with holiness, right? Because it kind of has this mythical whatever cloud around it. Holiness, in its meaning, is to be set apart. So God is set apart from us, right? He is holy because he is totally different than us. Does that make sense? So he is set apart because he is... He is set apart for his purposes. He's different than who we are. And so when we say that we want to live holy lives, we are saying we are setting it apart from what other people do. And so Paul is basically saying the world, what they do is they have a passion. They have a desire in them. And then they just go do it, right? Because they want to fulfill that passion. They want to fulfill that desire. They want to gratify whatever just comes into their mind that day, right? So if I want to sleep with this girl because I think she's pretty, what's the big deal, right? I feel like doing it, so why shouldn't I do it? 
But Paul is saying, no, God has created you for purposes, right? That you are to be set apart, that you're to honor yourself and honor other people by controlling your body. So what's important about that is when he says control his own body, that implies that there is a temptation, right? So he's not saying that you won't be tempted. He's not saying that that won't naturally come to you, that you won't naturally feel a draw to do certain things, but that because we are gods, we are to take control of our body, right? Not allowing our body to control us. Does that make sense? There's the difference. Those in Christ can control their bodies. Those who live by their own passions allow their body to control them. Does that make sense? And so we never want to harm each other, especially other believers, by violating someone else's covenant faithfulness to each other, right? So we want to live those kind of lives because God has given us his Holy Spirit. So I believe this is the last passage. Let me check yeah. Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is no, there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. There is mutual submission again, right? It's not wives, whenever your husbands want to have sex with you, you need to do what they say, or vice versa. It is a mutual giving of ourselves to each other, right? In the physical, so we're talking about the emotional and the spiritual, now we're talking about the physical act, right? That we're mutually submitting to each other because we love each other. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain, uh, for a limited time, so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Uh, I just laughed about that one. <laughs> Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, basically, the whole idea is that in marriage, this is a good thing, right? You're not supposed to deprive each other. And that, yes, outside of marriage, there is this temptation to have lust. But it is a good thing inside of marriage, right? And that we shouldn't deprive each other. That it is a part of that covenant relationship. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. So sexual immorality, either outside of marriage or adultery in marriage, is wrong because it breaks uh, the reality of covenant love, right? Committed faithfulness. What we do with our bodies greatly ties into our inner reality. They are not separate. So sex, a physical act of covenant love, is good in its proper place. When it is abused, it not only breaks relationship, it also becomes an out-of-proportion idol in our lives. And I think that's what's super important, is that in our day and age, sex is the thing, right? It's the thing to chase after, it's on every single advertisement, it's the idol of our age, and it's become an out-of-proportion god of many people's lives. Because sex is good, it's not a bad thing, and I think we, like, get kind of weirded out by it, you know, in talking about it, but it is a good thing, but it is not the thing. Does that make sense? We were created to do more than just have sex with each other. <laughs> you get it? But most people don't live their lives that way, right? They live their lives by feeding their passions and desires, and they just get more hungry. It's like eating junk food, right? It's not healthy for you, so you just keep eating and eating and eating. Uh, but when put in its proper place, it is healthy. It is a good thing. It, it can create families. It can bring on a, a new legacy, right? It can raise up children, and it can bring us closer with our spouses. So, basically, sex 
isn't wrong, it's not bad, it's actually a really good thing when it is properly in its place. When it is abused, it breaks relationship, it can become an idol, it can take control of people's lives, it can cause them to do things that they wouldn't normally do, it can even cause uh, other things like people murdering each other, right, because of broken relationship. So it, it can become our sole focus and it can be weaponized against other people they can be used to distort our own value, right? And so I want to focus on that real quick, because for some people, sex is all there is. That's what they chase after. That's what they get up in the morning for. For, for other people, it can be a tool that they use to abuse other people, to control them, to feel a sense of control and power. And again, it's in its wrong place. Part of pornography and the issue with that is an out-of-proportion focus on sex being the main thing, that's part of it, but it's also a weaponizing against ourselves, because a lot of times we do it in times of weakness, in times of vulnerability, in times of feeling like maybe we're not good enough, and so we turn to something that makes us feel good, makes us feel like maybe we have power, whether we recognize that's what we're doing or not, you know what I mean? So we weaponize it, and it can distort our value. So oftentimes, maybe we feel like, if you had sex, you may feel like the person said you weren't very good. So all of a sudden your value drops, right? Because they were evaluating on something, right? That isn't what really gives you value. Sex isn't what gives you value, whether you're good or not, whatever that means. You know what I'm saying? Or they might value you because you won't put out as someone not worthy of their time, right? Or, or even the fact that you gave someone this thing. Right? They wanted it, they coerced you into giving it, and then once they had it, they left you, right? Because they got what they wanted. And again, your value sinks because you were placing in it, if I did this for this person, then they would value me. And again, your value is in the wrong place, right? Because it should be in who God says you are. So sex in its improper place can cause all sorts of harm. Not because sex is bad, but because when it's taken out of its proper role, it destroys relationships, it devalues people, it causes abuse, it causes harm, it causes self-doubt. Because at the end of the day, like most of the time, outside of marriage, those relationships won't last forever, right? And then where are you, right? With memories with this person, that even when you are redeemed, right, you bring that baggage into your marriage. And no one wants to bring that baggage into their marriage, right? And that's not to say that it's irredeemable. I'm obviously a testimony of that, right? But when we practice it outside of marriage, we begin to bring baggage into those places, right? And even going beyond that, when we talk about weaponizing, when in cases of like rape or something like that, we've taken something and we have done harm to someone else and taken that choice away from them. Does that make sense? So when people do that, obviously, again, there's redemption in Jesus. There's healing in Jesus. There's a way to move forward. But again, it is used as a weapon not to bring life like it was meant to, not to bring people together, but to tear relationships apart. Does that make sense? Cool. So that is why sex is healthy only within a committed relationship of mutual submission and love. Cool. So pornography, sexual networks, that. Well, Twana is the first time I've ever even heard that term before. <laughs> oh, man. 
friends with benefits, sexual identity, over-sexualized culture and importance. All of these things, right, play into the things that we're struggling with now, right? So, let's talk about them. What do you guys think? Thoughts, opinions? How have you seen this be destructive in maybe lives of your classmates or lives that you've seen? Anyone willing to be honest? Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. So. I have a friend. <laughs> Yeah, oh, you're just... 
<laughs> so I think on the topic of pornography, right? I think it's really important that we learn that this is a self-destructive habit that not only Christians are talking against now, but even secular like psychologists. That it sets really bad expectations for your marriages. That like it creates un unfulfillable expectations, right? And it creates a strange fantasy world where people like live in that isn't reality, right? You know, the girl walking in as the delivery pizza girl or whatever. You know, like that's not gonna happen. And even when you even when you do those things in your own marriage, you know, the spice it up or whatever you use. It's strange because really what you're saying is that person isn't enough. I have to do something in order to really, you know, ignite that flame again. You get what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm not saying, there's no biblical precedent, but that's my own opinion. You get what I'm saying? It's like, if you have to do all these sorts of things to make it special still, then it wasn't ever about that person. Again, it's about you wanting a certain feeling for yourself. Does that make sense? So to demand that from your partner, and I think, I don't know if I talk about this later, or I, oh, I don't. Ah! Okay, so I think part of that as well, when it comes to, and I don't know if this will eventually come up or not, but like acts outside of just straight up sex, so we're talking about oral sex, we're talking about anal sex, we're talking about all those other things. I'm going to get real today, guys, you know. With those kind of things, at the end of the day, if you love your spouse, right, you are going to do what they're comfortable with. You will never make your spouse do something that they're uncomfortable with. So if your wife doesn't want to have oral sex, it's not you, it's not you to, your right to say to her, you're not a good wife, right? If you don't do this for me. Because it's a super degrading position for a female, right? And maybe they don't want to do it. And if you really love them, you're not going to make them do it, right? And that, I believe that is biblical. If I were Paul, where he says, the Lord didn't say this to me, but I'm saying to you. The Lord didn't say this to me, but I, Jacob, saying this to you. I said that to some of my college buddies once, and they were really mad at me for thinking that. But I really do believe that, right? Uh, anal sex is another thing. I think, no, you shouldn't do that. Um, that's, that's the apple, not the apple. Um, that's a whole other thing. But... When it comes to things like that, though, you have to have <laughs> Vanessa's laugh. <laughs> but let's be real, right? We have to honor and respect and love our spouses, right? And it's not about just getting our self-gratification. It's about honoring and loving one another, right? And God gave us a way to do it. It's fun. Let's stick with it, all right? You know what I mean? Um, I do want to say before maybe I go into the rest of this or ask any other questions, like, if you've had sex before, if you've slept with someone, it's not, you are not excluded from the kingdom of God, right? There is forgiveness. You don't have to live with guilt and shame. I don't live with guilt and shame anymore, right? I'm free. It's dead. It's in the past. I don't think about it anymore. You know what I mean? Now, obviously, there was things that Vanessa and I had to work through in our marriage because, obviously, I hurt her by doing that. You get what I'm saying? But she was willing to forgive me. She was willing to move past that. And it wasn't in our marriage, obviously, um, and so she was willing to forgive me. She was willing to accept that that was a part of me that I can't change, but that I, that I was willing to ask the Lord for forgiveness and move on. Does that make sense? And so in our own lives, that's what we have to do. We, we really have to change 
We can't just say, Lord, forgive me, and then we just keep doing it, right? You know what I'm saying? But we say, Lord, I recognize that I did this, or this happened to me. Maybe it wasn't even, you felt coerced into it. You get what I'm saying? This happened to me, and Lord, I feel like I'm dirty. I feel like I'm not good enough. But God, I know that I am good enough in your eyes, right? Jesus met that woman in the well. She slept with five dudes, right? And he's the one that called her and said, I have something for you. She didn't have to come begging to Jesus, right, to forgive her. He said, I want to forgive you. Jesus wants to forgive you. He's already forgiven you. He Really, what he wants to do is invite you to, to experience his life, right? And so there's forgiveness. There's already forgiveness. You are forgiven. That's done. Now it's about walking in that life that Jesus has on offer for us, right? And so that's the invitation for those of you, obviously, maybe you raise your hand or say anything, but if you feel that guilt, if you feel like, man, I did this or this happened to me, there is forgiveness. You can move forward, right? And we can walk in freedom. Cool. All right. Questions? Yes. <clears throat> I see the, the other part, sexual identity mm. in Christ, right? Yeah. Uh, considering so many things happening in the world as to sexual identity itself, yeah. people identifying as a uh, more female, uh, female, <laughs> lesbian, uh, gays, yeah. transgender, bisexual, what does scripture say about that and how we are supposed to coexist, live, and love these yeah. people through, through the love of Christ? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think sexual identity is a huge issue right now, right? Huge, huge, huge. And I think in a lot of ways, we as the church have got it wrong in our approach, in the sense that we have ostracized people, we have made them feel like they're less than. Or even that homosexuality, I do believe that the Bible declares it as, sin is basically missing the mark. That's what sin means. Missing God's mark for our lives. If we're image-bearing, that means we have a specific purpose in the way that we are meant to so, I do believe homosexuality is a sin, which means missing the mark of what God has for us. But it's no more a sin than if someone's sleeping with their girlfriend. And I think that's the problem that we made it, is we made these people like, oh, let's look at them and point the finger at them. In our own lives, there's plenty of people in our churches that are not being faithful to the people they've been called to be faithful to, right? So let's just get that clear. And where I would say sexual identity, the issue with sexual identity to me is this. It makes sex, who you sleep with, and your gender of what you identify with as the marker of your life. And it's just another form of making sex an idol, right? So we talk about the people that get up every day and they just want to hound and find a guy or girl to sleep with. They've made that their sexual identity, right? Sex has become the identifying marker of their life. And so who we sleep with is vitally important, but when it becomes our identity, even the term sexual identity, right? And so I think that's why in the homosexual community they, there, is, it, there is a tension. I get what I say would be offensive to some people. And it's because they make who they sleep with their identity, right? To be a lesbian or to be a gay or to be, is who they are is what they would claim. And I would say that's who they made them, who they believe themselves as they are. They made it their identity. But that is not who God has called them to be in their identity. Does that make sense? Their identity is much more than who they sleep with. And I think, like all of us, there are things that we really like 
Maybe you really like sleeping with people, right? Guy or girl. You are called to die to that, right? And dying isn't easy. Dying, doesn't, dying implies that there's something that we have to literally kill in ourselves that we would rather keep alive in order to be obedient to Jesus. And all of us have that. It's much easier to be angry, right? It's much easier to, to lash out for some people than it is to walk in and keep their mouth shut and walk in forgiveness, right? It's a lot easier for some people uh, to just sleep with whoever they want to, and they have to die to that, right? There's people who look at pornography, they have to die to that, right? It's a lot easier just to stay in those patterns of our lives and to sit in it and to make excuses for ourselves. I'll never be able to quit pornography, right? It's a part of who I am. No, it's who you're allowing yourself to be. You know what I'm saying? And the, there is no power to change, though, unless we have the Holy Spirit. And so I would say there are people who could... What I'm trying to make the argument for is you can say that I have, since the day I was born, been attracted, me, I'll just be attracted to another to men, not women. That's not an excuse is what I'm trying to say. Because it's a part of who you are that has to die. And maybe even when you're older, you feel maybe you have to walk in celibacy in order to be in line with who God is asking you to be. That's the sacrifice God is asking you to make. Versus someone else has to make a sacrifice in a different area. Right? That that person maybe doesn't even struggle with at all. That person can be a homosexual and be one of the most kind, caring, not super patient person. They don't have to die to anger. They don't have to die to selfishness, right? But they do have to die to something. And so that's where I would stand on it. That's what I believe the Bible says. Now, obviously, if someone wants to disagree with me, then I would say they're disagreeing with the Bible and we have to have a conversation, right? Um, but I think it is important that we have that understanding, right? Because love, as often used, is not just, I have a desire and I care about this person, I want to marry them, right? Love is about making covenant faithfulness within the realm that God has given us, right? If we believe God is creator and he has given parameters to us as image bearers, then we have to follow those, right? Whether we like it or not. And the ultimate sin is ultimately to say that God's way isn't the best way. Because that's what Adam and Eve said, right? That God gave us these promises. He told us we need to live a certain way. But we believe that maybe we can figure it out on our own. So we'll eat the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? So when we say to God, no, I think my way is better, we're, we have that same spirit, right? Does that make sense? And it's in all of us, right? We all say to God at times, I think my way is better. Cool. Do you feel like that answers your question? Cool. Any other thoughts? All relationships, so conclusion of the whole thing, all relationships should be based on mutual love and affection for one another, whether that's friendships or dating. Marriage specifically is a committed love to live as one, right? We found someone that we are wholeheartedly, deeply committed to wanting to live our lives together with them, right? So that's at another level than even friendship. Friendship is companionship. We get along, we care about each other, we treat each other with respect honor one another. Marriage is, here's a person that I want to spend every day of my life with, right? Because I see them as someone so valuable to me that I'm willing to make that commitment. Uh, this relationship reflects the same kind of covenant commitment that God desires from us to Him, right? So marriage is just a human-to-human -human example of the kind of committed love we should have towards God, right? 
of faithfulness, of dedicatedness. That is, that relationship is a, one of mutual trust, faithfulness, love, and commitment. Sex is a physical component of that marriage covenant. It is meant to operate within the covenant love of marriage. All right. And that concludes my TED Talk. Hey guys, this is Jake. If you are currently a university student on a campus in Botswana, we want to extend an invitation to you to get plugged into a discipleship group. So if you're interested, if that's something you want to do, if you want to begin to be a part of this family we call Kingdom Movement, we would encourage you to go into this episode's bio. There should be a link to our Instagram page. You can send us a message and we will make sure to connect you at a time and a place that works best for you and your schedule for school. But we don't want you to miss this opportunity to get plugged in and a part of what God is doing on the university campuses here. 
because we believe that you're a vital piece to what God wants to do to bring his kingdom, his wholeness, and his healing to the nation of Botswana and to the university specifically. So reach out to us today, guys, if that's something you're interested in. All right, thanks.